I'm John. And I'm Keith. And this is Plumadiddle. Your somewhat reliable source of information for most things, John. Most things, Keith, including, but not limited to, plastics. Plastics. Keith, I'm sure the people heard that just then. And thought. And they're thinking, what a spellbinding topic <laughs> to talk about. Tonight. How riveting. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, though. Go check you out LED your, lights. Exactly. Yeah. You can change your attitude right now, Mr. That's Podcast right. Listener and Mrs. Podcast Listener, because this is was incredibly fascinating, kind of in the same way, like you said, like LED lights. Yeah, absolutely. Who knew what a rabbit hole this was, Keith? We, we bring up LED lights all the time, but I think it's because me and you both had fun learning about that. And this was similar to that. I, I had a good time learning about plastics. And we're able to... Uh, kind of apply it to our modern day life and how yeah. our modern day life would not exist in some ways Yeah. without this. Now, a little disclaimer, we are not talking about the Kardashians. Right. Okay. <laughs> We're not talking about people. Plastic yes, people. Not, not plastic people, not the Barbies of the world, right? Not at all, Keith. But here's what we are talking about, Keith. All right. We're talking about plastic, Keith. What is plastic, John? All right. So we're talking about. I can't stand like, it anymore. <laughs> You're getting me tickled already. All right, Keith. So the idea of plastic was not originally about a material. All right. It originally meant to be pliable and easily shaped. Yeah. Later, by 1925, this term plastic began to be applied to specifically man-made or synthetic polymers, Keith. There you go. So let's tell, So that tells us nothing. All right, so, you want to jump into like some of the science about it first, and then we'll go through the history of it? Yeah, let me throw out what right. a polymer is real quick. So a polymer, polymers exist in nature. The first plastic we'll talk about today is formed actually from a natural polymer. We'll let yeah. you get into that in a little bit. But some natural polymers would include like silk, wool, DNA, yeah, cellulose. Yeah, so silks come from a worm, right? Worm. Yeah. Spider webs are silk too, right? So Yeah, I guess so, yeah. So anyway, so basically a polymer is just a big giant molecule that's made up of a smaller molecule that are pretty much exactly alike, just yeah. repeated into a big giant chain. Yeah, a long chain of molecules, that's what so I So a polymer really just literally means many parts. Right. So it's the same repetitive thing over and over makes this polymer. Right. All right. So one of the big benefits of this material is its malleability, Keith. Its ability there you go. to be. <laughs> Dude, we we already got day. it. I already got the word for the day. Malleability. <laughs> I don't even know if I can say that. <laughs> Try it, Keith. Let's hear you. Malleability. <laughs> uh, Has it got an E in it? Malleability. 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 There you go. Malleable. To be able to be formed, Keith. All right. Malleable. So we're not going to go much deeper into the polymer thing there, but. This works for where we're at right now. We're not going to dive too deep into the science because the science of all these molecules are these polymers. That's what they have in common. Yeah. Now, whether this takes place as a thermo, a kind of a heat reaction, or whether this is a chemical reaction that makes this polymer, all those things are different. Yeah. But apparently it's a pretty fascinating thing to the scientists who are into it because one guy asked in one article, have you ever seen like a PET, which we'll get into later, polymer or a ptfe polymer a pet polymer molecule he said it's so fascinating he said it looks like a giant cathedral wow yeah so, that's cool anyway and also we'll get into later there's some problems with plastics yeah and an overabundance yeah. of them and stuff but for our uh 
purposes today, we're going to say that this word, which I like etymology, I like words, comes from a Greek word, placine, which yeah. means simply, again, just a mold or shape. Yeah. So we're talking and about it's, this. And it's an all-encompassing term for what we know as plastics today. You know, some people might think, well, this is plastic, but this is not. Man, well, I it's was It's probably all plastic. We're know? not going to hit on even a fraction, probably, of all these things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I hit on tons of stuff that I had no idea was plastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's go through but, the history of it. Let's dive though, into the yeah. history because we're going. This is going to be kind of our narrative of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, with every great invention, John, you have to have a need first, right? You do. Well, I have argued with Shuggy about that. Sometimes I think a need is created in order to invent something. You right. Know, you don't like know you need iPhone. it until it's created. You didn't you know, know you need it until Steve Jobs told you you did. Right. Yeah. Or, or Square iWatch. You know, I, I thought I wanted a round one, but. I didn't get a round one because they told me I needed a square one, so I got a square. Well, Samsung one. tells you you need a round one. So yeah, but anyway, uh, yeah, but see, but I think sometimes the need is created, but sure, there does need to be a need, John, and uh, there was a need during this time because of a rising industry, which was the billiard, the billiard, 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 like a billiard ball, billiard. Back in the day, they made them of. Ivory. ivory, which uh, became a problem. They, yeah, I mean, I think it was always kind of a problem. You know, I mean, like you were taking that from elephants. It was they were largely obtained by the slaughtering of elephants. Just slaughter the elephants, and, and the often it was it. slaves that was doing that. You know, yeah. and so um, yeah, that was definitely a problem with that. And then a new problem arised. You know, because these guys who didn't care about that. They needed a different reason, I guess. You know, well, there was become a shortage of it, which, you know, supply and demand, there was a rise in price. Exactly. And so. And we like to play billiards. So right, we got to find yeah. a new billiard ball, Keith. Yeah. And so they set out to, to do that. Now, predating that just barely in 1962, a guy had actually. 1862, even. Yeah, 1862. I'm 100 years off. <laughs> somewhat reliable source. I'd Only 100 years Keith. off. All right. So in 1862. Um, a guy had set out to replace uh, sh- uh, shellac. Ain't that yep. how you say it? Shellac. Shellac. Which uh, I know shellac because you let me borrow some shellac to cover a pub table with. Oh, yeah. Which so, sun's floors are shellac. Yeah, so it's kind of like a waxy type waterproofing material. It's a resin. It yeah, and it, comes I think from like bugs. It comes from a bug. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't know that until this podcast, which is right. interesting. So. Anyway, um, he set out to create a synthetic version of waterproofing that would replace shellac. And what he came up with was something similar to what a guy came up with later on, but it was basically he used cellulose, which is from plant cell walls, right? right. And he mixed it with nitric acid. Okay. With, and then he would dissolve that in alcohol and harden it, and it would become like this transparent Which that's like material. actually shellac did that. You, yeah. you like melted the stuff or dissolved it in Right, alcohol, and boom. and so this was an okay material. I mean, it, uh, it just wasn't quite up to par with the needs that needed to be met. And so, so Alexander Parks, yeah, and he, he called named it, this, yeah, very Parkinson. humbly, <laughs> very humbly, Parkinson, right? the eponymous name of his material. <laughs> yeah, there's another word for the day, eponymous, eponymous. All right, so just a few years later, though. Um, there was this company that challenged, they set out a $10,000 challenge, which, John, if you didn't know, that's about $218,000 in today's money. That's a substantial challenge. Yeah, so they uh, challenged anyone to create a substitute for billiard balls. 
right? Exactly. And a guy took up the challenge. His name was John Wesley Hyatt. John Wesley Harding, yeah, the gunfighter. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. John <laughs> Wesley Hyatt. John Wesley Hyatt, the uh, guy who owns the hotel chain. Right, right there you go. So, um, no, this guy was... I don't know what he did, but anyway, he was a guy who said, hey, I'm going to solve this problem. Exactly. Right? And uh, I think he was pretty much an inventor. He was definitely a very much business-minded. Right. But um, he created a similar material to what Parks had created, which was, except the only difference was he used cellulose from cotton fiber. Cotton fiber. And right. then he uh, mixed it instead of with nitric acid, he mixed it with camphor. Now, what is camphor, John? Um, tell me, Keith. It's in Campophonique. Well, I knew Campophonique. <laughs> I was going to say he mixed it with Campophonique. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all the same similar stuff. It, it comes from the a, a tree. It's okay. like a, a camphor tree. Okay. But anyway, um, it? it's a waxy type material okay. when it's in uh, its raw form. Gotcha. And so when he, he mixed it with that, and there was more to it than that, he actually had to – it wasn't just mixing it. He had to pulverize it and create a process that actually worked. But he did – accomplished creating a material that was very pliable, very cheap to make, and called it cellulose. Celluloid. I thought it was cellulose. Cellulose Cellulose. is the plant fiber. Okay, celluloid. Celluloid. Unfortunately, it didn't work very well for billiard balls. I wrote that down wrong. That's all right. Again, we're somewhat reliable, Keith. Celluloid. Celluloid. And it didn't really work that great for the billiard ball thing. They didn't right. bounce quite. They were too light, and they didn't bounce quite yeah. right. Now, here's the thing, though. He had actually used, like, wood pulp and some other type of material first on his first attempt. And he ended up making, like, chess pieces and checker pieces and stuff out of that. And they ended up actually using that for the billiard balls. Okay. Now, not to the best degree. I mean, like, billiard balls never really were completely off ivory until like later on with better materials came out, but it was able to replace it somewhat right. um, with that material. But this other material that he created was even better because it could be used for so many different things. And so it was particularly so, yeah, combs. Yeah. I was about to say, did you get some of those written? Yeah. Down the thing, the interesting thing about it is it could be colored and you could make it, you could texturize it and pattern it. The tortoise pattern. Yeah. The tortoise yeah. shell, because you know, that's still one of those old things that was the old classic guitar pick, you know, yeah. the tortoise shell guitar pick. Now there's other, I, I should have thought the, to look I that think up the, to the see. glasses you're wearing now are a little bit tortoise shell. Yeah. Yeah. A- interestingly enough, that glasses thing is going to come into play in a little bit. Yeah. And he actually the, used this, this celluloid to make glasses frames. Celluloid, yeah. absolutely. He man. made a lot of different things out of it. A lot of toys at this time were made out of it. I mean, it was starting to be used kind of like what we use plastic for today. But I think Plastic John was still finding its way through the world. You know, it's like, yeah, this is a great material. Yeah, we're already using it for a lot of things. But they haven't quite discovered all the different things they could use it for. You know, oh, absolutely. Plus, plus the science comes a long way even after this. Um, did this have any faults that you know of, the celluloid? Well, it was flammable. Yeah, that, that was the, one issue. of the main things. It was real fl- highly flammable. There was actually a material that was... Not quite plastic, but was a little bit similar to plastic. I didn't put it down because I don't think it really qualified. Um, but I think they called it uh, how I, gun glue or something like that. I can't remember what it was called. But anyway, um, it was explosive. And so a lot of people with the celluloid, they actually were thinking 
oh my gosh, this stuff's going to explode. And they had to tell right. them, hey, this ain't the same stuff. You know, this right. this, this ain't what you're used to. But even though it wasn't dangerous for the consumer, it actually could be very dangerous for them who were manufacturing it. There was a lot of fires that broke out in the factories and oh, stuff I'm sure they because did. it was so flammable. Um, but anyway, celluloid didn't really quite find its place in the world until something very prominent happened later on. You know what that was? Um, maybe like uh, film? Film. Kodak yeah. making film. So when the film industry started hitting celluloid, really found its place because it was exactly. the main thing that's used for that. So, All right, All right. Keith. So moving so celluloid's on. Celluloid's the first biggie. Yeah, and it was revolutionary. I mean, really, I'd say it's right up there with the production of steel. I mean, I read one article that said this was the first time that you had like man-made, uh, fully synthetic man-made material that you can use in manufacturing. Actually, this one, celluloid's not synthetic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not, made from wood. It's made from natural materials, but I guess man-made. I don't know. Man-made. But, anyway, but, but I would, I would argue synthetic. that steel was was similar to that. I mean, you use different types of natural materials to make a man-made product. Right. It still predated this. So sure. I wouldn't say it was the first, but it was right up there with the importance of steel. It was, big, steel. It was, it was big, big, yeah. All right, so what's the next one we go? It was advertised, by the way, as the savior of the elephant. Absolutely, and the tortoise. Yeah, and the tortoise. I guess they use tortoise shells, too, for different things. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So anyway, it also, another thing, John, that people don't think about a lot is it actually made material wealth more widespread and attainable. Um, Because if you think about this, some of these products that could only be made out of ivory or only could be made out of you know, different natural materials that were expensive. Right. People couldn't have those products. They just couldn't have them. They couldn't well, now them. you can make them out of something different, so now you can afford them. So right. it made material wealth actually more obtainable. So after that, there was another version in 1897 called Galilith. Galilith, I think, or Galilith. Right. And it was uh, made by two guys, William Krish. He was a printer from Hanover who was – he was basically commissioned to make a whiteboard, but he just wasn't successful at doing that. Okay. They wanted a, a blackboard that was white, white and it just didn't work. Um, but they used it for something else. And then uh, German chemist Adolf Spittler. Spittler. You got to right. say that like a German. Spittler. Can you say like a... Spittler. <laughs> Spittler. No, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't that important, though. Just hawk a loogie when you do it. All right, so um, they used a process that had been discovered just a few years before 1893 were used formaldehyde um, to be made to make casein, which is milk uh, proteins, insoluble. Okay. Uh, So that's kind of neat, right? You use formaldehyde to make milk proteins not soluble, make them like a plastic. So make them hard. Yeah. But what's going to be important here in a minute is that formaldehyde thing is going to make turn into something truly groundbreaking. Yeah, it's a formaldehyde process, and it's the one that was first truly synthetic and is going to change the world, Keith. Right, yeah. Um, now, this one, before we get to the the world-changing one, the game-changer, this one was uh, it was cheap. It was probably cheaper than the other stuff, but it had its disadvantages. Um, it would splinter and warp when it was made past a certain size, and so right. just still wasn't quite the stuff we needed. So here's the game-changer, man, 1907. This is it, Keith. What was his name, man? His name was Leo Bakeland. And so he, he also was very humble and named the stuff he created. 
Bakelite. Bakelite, right. Man, Bakelite stuff is still highly sought after, quite expensive when you can find whether it's old Bakelite telephones or Bakelite radios or Bakelite. Just the nostalgia, I guess, vintage aspect of it. or it, Yeah, and it has something else that none of the rest of them had. It has a durability oh, yeah. to it, and it's non-flammable. Yeah. So it's heat resistant. And so this was the first fully synthetic, first fully synthetic plastic. Tea. Yeah, using no molecules found in nature. No John, molecules so. found in nature. Um, and he was actually the first one to term the coin plastics, or coin the term plastics. Even what did I say? Coin the term. Coin the term. The coin. He, ter- he did turned. Did I say the turn the coin? <laughs> okay, so he coined the term. Either plastics. way, man. Yeah, he did that. But um, <laughs> bakelite, though, man, it was it, it was a step. In the right direction, right? It was a good insulator. It was durable, heat resistant. Exactly. And unlike celluloid, it was actually suited for mass production. And that's a big deal, right? That's a huge deal yeah. if you're going to make stuff out of it. Right. Um, probably around the same time, you had old John Henry Ford. John Henry Jingleheimer Smith, man. Yeah. Exactly. What's his first name, John? Did I get that right? I don't know. I don't know. Henry it Ford. Sounds good. I don't know. That sounds good. I'll call him John Henry. John Henry. Um, but Henry Ford, he um, he was just creating a mass production revolution in itself. Right. And so you needed a material, if you were going to want to make plastics mass produced, that was suited for that. And Bakelite really was. And here it was. It was yeah. in everything. It was in telephones. It was in radios. It was in all those original mass produced items. You know what's crazy is he accidentally discovered this stuff while trying to create a substitute for none other than shellac. Shellac again. So All right. The the shellac bug unwittingly, unknowingly unleashed a torrent. Helped us with of plastics. synthetic fibers on Ain't it, that or crazy? not fibers, but polymers rather, Keith. Yeah. So um, so his discovery and then advancements in chemistry led major chemical companies to start investing in this stuff, to research, develop. Oh, absolutely, man. And so new polymers um, led to the creation of many new plastics after World War One. So in between World War One, and World War II, you had a lot of those. And then World War II, plastic production increased like Big crazy. Time. I mean, Can obviously. Can I throw one in there real quick? Yeah, go ahead. 1920, Keith. All right. You said right after World War One, that's where we are. A lot of them, a lot of the modern plastics that we're going to talk about start coming along around just right before World War II Mm -hmm. and are really put to use during the war. Right. But one of the most used plastics today, Keith, as a matter of fact, the third most produced synthetic plastic polymer was created in 1920, something called PVC. PVC. Polyvinyl chloride. I didn't realize it was created that early. It was. I don't know that it was used in mass at that point. Yeah. The most important PVC invention, I'll come back to, Keith, when we get around the 19, late 40s okay. stuff. But I had to throw PVC in then because the good old PVC is going to come back. It's not just for plumbing, Keith. It's not. All right. So, like you said, well, you want to pick up there, we'll say during World War II, plastic production rose by 300%. Percent. 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 <laughs> Boy, yeah. Keith, I'd like to just say this. Our vocabulary <laughs> is on point tonight, Keith. That's why people like us, man. We have got our data and our factual information down, but I'm only going to give us like an A- minus on our vocabulary tonight. <laughs> I hear you. All right. That's like way better than usual. Then. <laughs> All right. All right, go ahead. So um, after World War II, uh, yeah, World or War II. Pre-World War II. Are we talking about plastics that were made in that time or where are we headed with it? 
uh, I didn't have. Let's hit that. Did time you got frame. you got some? Yeah, man. One of the most important plastics ever was invented just prior to World War II. It okay. was used all throughout. I even use it today, Keith. What's that? I use it in my guitar picks. All right. And it's called nylon. Oh, nylon. Okay. Nylon was created in 1935. I don't know who created it. Oh, yes, I do. Wallace Carruthers, as a matter of fact. Carruthers. It was used in. Um, Mr. Nylon. It was really. Do you know what inf- or what um, natural substance it was created to kind of mimic? Hmm. It's stretchy. It's a little bit waterproof. A little bit soft. A little bit soft. Uh, I have no idea. Silk. Silk, okay. It's going to be a synthetic silk. So uh, back in the day, and it's kind of It's kind of hot like silk, too. Yep. Like you wear it, and you're like, man, it's a little bit hot. I think silk breathes better. You think? Because the polymers yeah. are shorter chain. Yeah. But parachutes, ropes, helmet liners. Yeah. Guitar picks. In which parachutes would have been very important during backpacks World War II. Now, right? You know, yeah. a lot of most of our backpacks and stuff are yeah. nylon. Heavy-duty nylon. So the war... Drove a lot of innovation and it precipitated yeah, that a yeah, lot. Yeah, and this was one of them. Yeah, was um, acrylic. There you go. I got a brand name of acrylic, Keith, that you'd be very familiar with. All right, plexiglass. Plexiglass. Yeah, they did uh, use that for a lot of uh, the planes and stuff during World War Two. Um, See, I didn't think of nylon as a plastic. Yeah, I didn't either. I would have never known that as plastic, but I knew that like. A lot of the shirts we wear today that are like, uh, you know, blends. Right. I mean, that's plastic. That's Polyester not, that's blends. not cotton, you know, right. it's plastic. Absolutely, we're wearing plastic man. shirts. And so. so, Keith, where do these synthetic, we didn't hit on this really, where where do these synthetic polymers and plastics come from? Where do they originate? Um, chemicals. What kind of chemicals? I have no idea. You, you got it, Dan. We got it, Keith. What petroleum, is primarily. Oh, petroleum, Fossil yeah. fuels. Okay, yeah, that's right. So I just didn't dive into that part of it very much. Right. I didn't dive too deep, Keith. Yeah. I didn't dive too deep myself. But the World War II was a big one. All mm-hmm. around this time, there's another one right before World War II that came along. That what was wasn't that? In PTFE. Okay. Now, what's, now, there's a lot. And also PTSD came around. <laughs> yeah, <World War> <laughs> PTSD <laughs> really came around in World War II. So I don't know what the actual. Keith, there's so many gum acronyms. I know. I don't even know what PTFE stands for. Tell it. You tell us. It's polytephalonic. Okay. Um, well, all right. Just stop right there. Fluoride. You're just making up some crap, but that second word is really basically yeah. what it is. It's Teflon. PTFE is Teflon. See? I know. There you go. Polytephalonic. <laughs> something, something, something. Uh, there you go. All right. So anyway, um, so World War Two did, like you said, it created a lot of new ones, right? Oh, man. Tons. And that's kind of coupled with... Some success showing that these chemical companies that there's a market in this, right? Right. But then the market become bigger with World War II, and like I said, increased at three hundred percent. So after the war, though, it didn't really slow down too much because people were ready to spend money again. Here they come, the ba- here here comes the folks after World War Two, yeah. giving birth to the baby booners, right? Booners, See, booners, yeah. So I mean, you got a lot of families started, you know, households exactly. wanting to buy stuff and for mica, yeah. Got to have those countertops. That's right, absolutely. So lots of different things consumers want can be made with plastic. So a big one right here, John, 1951 is polypropylene. Polypropylene, that's a biggie, Keith. That's a huge one. Um, it and high density polyethylene 
Both came out about the same time. Right. Polypropylene was invented and is one of the most used polymers in the world even today. Yes, and it so is. So most of what you use, John, that you say, hey, this is plastic, it's probably polypropylene. Right. Um, so you're talking about like food containers. Um, now, sometimes it may be the ADH, uh, the AD. HDPE, HDPE, sorry. ADHD. Golly, these, these acronyms are getting me. <laughs> I know they drive us crazy, man. HDPE, high, high density polyethylene. Yeah, so it may be that because, like, for instance, milk jugs is made out of that. Okay. But it's, it's a little bit harder, right? It's, a it's definitely bit. plastic bottles, piping yeah. for water and sewer, snowboards, boats, and folding chairs are some of the things made out of HDPE. Keith. Right. Here's an interesting fact, though, about HDPE, John. Its future was actually precarious for a little while because to start with, the initial lots that they were producing were not as good as what they had created in the lab. Oh, yeah. And so they had all of this that they produced, yep. and it was sitting around. Sitting around. In he, warehouses. He was just waiting for some entrepreneur to make something crazy. And what did he make, John? He made a hula hoop. That's he, right. And so you know, if you ever play with a hula hoop, you know how hard that plastic right. is, right? That's, so that's HDPE. It is. Okay. And so it kind of saved. The hula hoop saved HDPE. It gave them like six months. Yeah, They used up that first six months of HDPE that was just going to waste. And yeah. here's the problem. We're it gave them time to, to, to find out. new uses for the it and figure is, out the problems. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Is that these plastics don't biodegrade. Yes. They don't yeah. go away. So, Another plastic thing that a guy says he regrets making, speaking of biodegradable, do you know what that is? I do not. The Keurig guy. Really? So, like, what in kind order. What plastic is in the little K cups? I'm not. You know? I can't remember what type it is, but I know that it had to be very, very heat resistant. Yes, it did. Obviously. And so, which actually makes it very not so biodegradable. Very much so. You're so, right. um, the guy actually said he kind of regrets making it because he knows of the the pollution that it might cause and um you know for the listeners out there you know no matter where you're at politically on the whole on the whole you know environmental thing pollution i don't think nobody where you're at politically agrees with pollution yeah it it can be but when you've got a Something called the. It can be if you get into extremes, but when you're talking about just polluting the world, throwing trash around, and it not biodegrading, I think I don't think anybody likes that. So let's call Keith. Did you hear of this? Have you heard of this? Let's throw this in there real quick. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Yeah. There's five big giant oceanic patches where this stuff has gathered together, Keith. Oh, that's lovely. In the North Pacific, and do you know that this patch of plastic that's swirling around in the ocean? Is bigger than two Texases and bigger than three Frances. And that's if you see crazy. it from above, it's just plastic. Bigger than the size of two Texases. And that's just one of them. How did it get there? I mean, that's. that's people, throw, people littering. Just littering into people the People throwing it out into the rivers, lakes, creeks. And stuff and it just accumulated lakes, to one it spot. It just accumulates. You know, it flows that's down terrible. the river, it flows out into the ocean. It's but Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. And we're going to talk a little bit about the the problems with plastic in a, just a minute. But Can I jump back real quick? Yeah, we're go in ahead. 51, so mm-hmm. I missed 1948, Keith. Oh, yeah, just barely. In 1948, made out of PVC, something right. that's very popular these days, Keith, the long play record, also known as the LP, oh, yeah. the vinyl record, is right. made out of PVC. Did you know that? Yeah, I think I've heard that before. So that's but where I didn't the vinyl comes it, from, yeah. polyvinyl chloride. And if you make it in its natural form, it's um, 
it's clear. Yeah, so that's why they call records vinyl. Vinyl. Yeah. But apparently, interestingly enough, most records are black, although there are multicolored records, and I do have a clear one. We've got a clear one. I think. Yeah, I, uh, me and you both. I think the, the Hot Rocks, one, yeah. Rolling Stone, is clear. That's right. That's not necessarily the best thing, because apparently, the idea is you know PVC is a electrical insulator. Yeah. So, it can gather up a static charge. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they put the black in, which is supposed to lessen that charge. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, I did notice. Like, I, I'll be honest with you, probably that Hot Rocks was the first um, record that I'd ever gotten that was clear, um, and it was it's a new record. So I don't know if uh, they didn't used to do that, and with new records they just started doing that, or if that's always been something that they've done. Did have you ever had clear records before the the new one? I might have one. I've got some that are some different colors. Yeah. Because you can color it different colors. Right, okay. I've got some pretty cool-looking ones. But black is pretty common. It's made yeah. out of, it's like a carbon black. So, anyway, so let's keep going. You you hit pro- polypropylene. Yeah. We got PP. We got PE. We got PTFE. <laughs> we got HDPE. We got so many acronyms, Keith, that I, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing anymore. Yeah, I mean, and not a lot happened really after... World War II, there was some slow advances. In the 60s, you had a, a polysulfone family right. of thermoplastics, which uh, those are probably most popular for the gold visors on the Apollo spacesuits. Kevlar was introduced in the 60s and 65 to replace steel and racing tires, but now it's known more for bulletproofing type materials like bulletproof vest. Um, and then in the 70s, oil embargoes in the 70s drove the bio-based and biodegraded plastic industry up. And but then the consumerism crazed '80s kind of dampened that dude to uh, failed expectations. You know what I mean? Like right. the, they just didn't quite meet expectations. So I say that's where we're going in the future, John. Is plastics? I don't. I don't, I don't know that we're going to do any better in creating plastics than what we have now. We might but, Keith, if we can get a make a biodegradable. Well, that's what I'm saying. Plastic. Except for making them biodegradable, I'm talking about like as far as the material goes and the use. I don't know that we can get any better. All right. But what we do need to focus on is trying to get one that is just as good. That is poss- That's more biodegradable. That's the problem. Right. They end up in landfills or the ocean. Yeah. One or other. Absolutely. And so before we wrap anything up, let me throw something at you, Keith. Let's throw some of these biggies. Anything right. that anything that came your way during this that you did not know was a plastic that turned out to be plastic? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Epoxy. Epoxy. That was one. Super okay. glue. Yeah, so those are Velcro. Those are plastics that harden when different chemicals so mix they're with a chemically, each other. you yeah. know, whereas bakelite mm-hmm. was heated and pressed or molded and it couldn't be broken down. You can't right. melt it and make it into something else. So let's hit these real quick. We've already talked about some of them, but let's just throw them out there. Okay. The big seven, PET, PET. It's the number one plastic, Keith. Beverage bottles, food jars, peanut butter, honey, all that kind of crap. Polyester clothing or rope. That's PET. We use it every day. Okay. We already talked about HDPE. Yeah. All right. Milk cartons, detergent bottles, cereal box liners, toys, buckets, park benches. Yeah. All right. What's PVC. 
Huh? What's this right here? Oh, that's a good question, Keith. What I would bet, you say it is? I'd say it's probably a uh, HDPE. HDP. That's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. That's what we're tapping work. on <laughs> is your old classic um, kind of folding table that Ooh. you would put out at your church picnic or your Lifetime family dinner. Lifetime brand. Lifetime brand. That's interesting enough. Keith, yeah. you got to look that up. PVC, we already talked about. It's resistant to chemicals and weathering, so it's good for building stuff. Plumbing pipes, credit cards, human and pet toys. LDPE. Which I'll is obviously one, related, yeah. right? Yeah. To HP. It's softer and clearer and more flexible than HDPE. It's often used as a liner inside beverage cartons, sandwich and bread bags, bubble wrap, garbage bags, and grocery bags. That's a big problem. A lot of places are trying to ban the plastic garbage bag or the plastic um, single use grocery bags. That's a big issue. Yeah. Polypropylene, we talked about it. Food, uh, food packaging, straws, bottle caps, prescription bottles. Hot food containers, DVD, and CD boxes, Keith. You remember the hard plastic CD boxes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Keith, here's one we haven't mentioned. All right. Polystyrene. Was that styrofoam? That's styrofoam, Keith. Rigid I knew that from the, from the name. Huh? I just could tell that from the name. Exactly. Styrene. It's considered to be dangerous. It can leach such toxins such as styrene, which is a neurotoxin. And obviously in PVC... So when you go to the store and you say, hey, I want to get some cups, and somebody says, well, you want to get plastic or you know, styrofoam, you can be like, yes. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes. So what are, the di- what, is, Keith, what are solo cups made out of? What kind of plastic? Um, I would say what, polypropylene? All right, let's see. Let's just check and see what uh, I don't know, though, because it breaks. What type of plastic are solo cups made of? Okay, so it's a type, both of them are a type of polystyrene. There you go. The one is a foamed polystyrene, which is what we think of as the little chips, the white stuff that you get your little, you know, get your iced tea in, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. All right, so those are some of the biggies, Keith. Let's check. I did check, too, and this table, John, is HDPE. We were correct. Boom, we had it. You were right. All right, so we've got the LDPE Ultra. Oh, gosh, here's one, Keith. (laughs) U-H-M-W-P-E. Okay, say that again. (laughs) U-H-M-W-P-E. It's not much denser than HDPE, but it's more abrasion-resistant, Keith. Okay. So it's used for military body armor, hydraulic seals and bearings, and biomaterial for hip, knee, and spine implants. Yeah, there you go. And so one of the uses that we really hadn't mentioned is so many different uses for medical field, right? Oh, absolutely. All kinds of different medical equipment that need hinges are made out of certain kinds of plastic because they're strong and durable. Um, you know, you're talking about, um, like I have a brace. It's made out of completely plastic. Yeah. So, what kind? Do you know what kind it is? Uh, it's the kind for for drop foot. What do you call it? I don't know. LD PE. Oh no, I, I don't know. I was trying to name the name of the brace. But oh, I don't know what kind no, of it's no, a hard no. plastic though. Okay, so it's probably HDPE. Yeah, but prosthetics though, stuff like that, all this stuff needs plastics, right? Oh, absolutely, man. You so, can't do without it, Keith. I know, right? So uh, since we can't Which do is part without of the problem, it, jo- we John, is, yeah, I, I do believe we need to. Concern. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I, I think we we do need to start focusing on trying to figure out how to you know not pollute our earth with plastics, right? Absolutely. Now, a paper straws, though, John, it's just not the answer. That's not the answer. It does not meet my consumer expectations, which is to get the liquid from the cup into my mouth. I don't think aluminum 
is the answer either. When people yeah. use the Yeti cups with aluminum, my wife hates it because there's no real good way to clean those darn things. I know there really isn't. You know, you can they actually make a little straw thing that goes in them, but, or now like a little uh, brush thing that goes yeah. through. Can I throw in a little philosophy on you? Yeah. So obviously, as we tell this history of plastic, it started out and as as an unambiguously positive and exciting realm of possibility, Keith. Yeah, there you go. But you know what it's turned into in some ways? Issues of cheapness and pollution. Yeah. Because a lot of people today love to see, Keith, you talk about a nice handcrafted piece of furniture right. or a nice handmade this or that. Yeah. But guess what, Keith? Plastic table works. We use it. And as far yeah. as, but it's it's not a handcrafted piece of furniture. Uh, yeah. Certain ish, uh, certain applications is fine. It's got its applications, yeah. Keith. And at this point, we can't do without it. Right. But we got to learn to do with it in a healthier way. But it's a fascinating yeah. field. And who knows what lies in the future, Keith? Yeah. And I think that is the future of plastics. Whoever can figure out how to make something that's biodegradable, and still meets consumer expectations. And you know what might that, be involved? That is a big deal. That's Well, it is, because we've got used to things a certain way, and it's hard to change that. Yeah. But, Keith, We're Americans. I wonder. American. Americans. <laughs> I wonder, though, Keith. Yeah. Check back our previous, po- previous podcast. Previous podcast. I wonder, Keith. What role a fun guy could play in breaking down yeah, plastic? There you, go. you remember there was some stuff about yeah, that. Yeah, now that's a that's a thought, John. Not just can you create a material that breaks down easily, but can you create something that breaks down plastics so that we can keep our plastics like we like them, and then don't have to worry about it because then you got some kind of fungus that breaks it all down. Man, right? it's that'd be amazing. great, wouldn't it? As a matter of fact, Keith, and then it eats up the whole world, and we're in big troubles. Researchers have now found, Keith, that many species are capable of plastic bioremediation, including the common edible oyster mushroom. The oyster oh, wow. mushroom is capable of decomposing plastic while still creating an edible mushroom. I'm telling you, Keith, I'm that still crazy. on the fungus trip. So you can eat the thing, but it can break down plastic. Ain't that I weird? Mean, That's weird. I'm telling you, man, fungus is the future, If you missed Keith. our... Uh, uh, mushroom podcast. Uh, you the gotta last go one check out, it out. Or fungus or whatever we titled it. Maybe fungus check is the answer. Out. It was magical mushrooms. A fantastic fun guy. Speaking of fantastic, something marvelous mycelium. I think we have actually named a podcast title one time before with the, the term plastic in it. You remember what that was? Plastic fantastic lover. Yeah, there you go. And I stole that from the Jefferson Airplane. By the way, that was one of yeah. their songs. And what is the plastic fantastic lover? That is TV. That's the TV. And we talk set. about the golden it age of TV. You, the golden yeah. age of television, Keith. Yeah, Go we did that, that a few years ago, so it probably would need to be updated, really. To right. but I think we were, you know, we predict the future pretty well, John. We're pretty so, much yeah. future predictors, we're Keith. futurist. So, well, all right, Keith. That's pretty interesting stuff. Use your plastic. Be thankful for it. Uh, be wise about recycling it or, or using stuff like you know, like when you go to Aldi, maybe take your bag with you. Or yeah. if you got some of the old Dollar General bags, take them and read it. Or better yet, go figure out how to interbreed different fungi to that will break down this stuff. Yes. And so that I can keep using my plastic like I want to. All right, Keith. There it is. There you Grace go. and peace. Peace out.